Hi everyone, this is International Society of Hypertension Podcast. I'm Associate Professor Francine Marques from Monash University, Australia, and my co-host is Dr. Augusto Montesano from the University of Glasgow, Scotland. So today I have the pleasure to introduce you my co-chair, Dr. Augusto Montesano. So uh, Dr. Montesano completed his PhD in pharmacology in 2006 at the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. In 2008, he joined Professor Rian Towers at the Kidney Research Center in uh, Ottawa Hospital Research Institute in Canada as a postdoctoral fellow. In 2012, Dr. Montesano relocated to the University of Glasgow, Scotland as a Walton Fellow in Cardiovascular Medicine. And just a few months ago now, uh, to McGill University in Montreal, Canada as a Research Fellow. His research focuses on uh, osteogenic factors, vascular biology and implications in cardiovascular disease. He has been a very active member of our research uh, community advocating for early career researchers at the European Council on Cardiovascular Research, the American um, Heart Association Council on Hypertension, as well as the International Society of Hypertension, where I now have known uh, Gutu for uh, nearly a decade, where he has worked uh, at the New Investigator Committee, the Mentoring and Training Committee, as well as the Women in Hypertension uh, Committee. So he has had a major contribution across several of our initiatives. Gutu, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. It's such such a pleasure uh, to be able to interview you, but also to have been able to work with you for such a long time. Thank you, Fran. Like, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak uh, in our podcast. Like, that's going to be like a surreal uh, experience because now I'm on the other side. And my wrinkles got even like bigger and more no noticeable when I said a decade. I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you. Mine thank too. You. <laughs> um, so, Guto, um, can you tell us your story and how you ended up involved in hypertension as well as um, the ISH? Yeah, so uh, my involvement in hypertension like started like since the early beginnings uh, when uh, I was inspired, not inspired, but my mom suffered from hypertension and cardiovascular disease. Uh, so I remember when I was a kid when she did her first uh, heart open heart surgery. Um, I remember going through that the whole process, and then even after that, like she was taking like lots of medicine, like to control blood pressure and other aspects of uh, her disease. And I remember asking myself and asking her doctors, like, why does she need so many pills? Like, why every single morning she needs to take like all these pills? And then he used to explain to me, and I I was always fascinated. And I would turn to her and be like, don't worry, I will study more about it, and I'm going to cure you. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, like uh, <laughs> that was like a big burden and a, a lot of things to ask for um, a young kid. Um, but but that was got me going. Like that was uh, gave me the interest to do pharmacy, uh, to uh, be more interested in biology and so on. So then I remember, like when I was doing pharmacy uh, in back in Brazil in São Paulo. I was working in a company, but wasn't a pharmaceutical company. It was a company that was doing uh, perfumes and uh, uh, perfumes for like many different products. And I hate it. Like it was a good start. It was something that you get like a salary and you can start like paying your bills and feel a little bit more independent from your parents. Um, 
but I hated the fact it wasn't the job it was the fact that all my days were very repetitive and even like uh, at the end of my graduation or my completing my degree when I was doing like you know those mandatory uh, placements I was in a pharmaceutical company and I hated again because I was in quality control and it was also like very uh, repetitive uh, for me and then I think like I was talking to a friend at university and I was like oh, I don't know like I, I, I started questioning whether I am in the right place and then talking to her she was a lab technician in the lab that I did my PhD uh, and she's like well one of the four PIs where I work, they're looking for a, we call like the scientific initiation, like an undergrad student uh, to do like a short-term project. And I was like, oh, great. And um, <clears throat> then I, did, I went there, was when I met Pita Topsis. I interviewed with her. I had no idea what was, what was saying or something. Like I just knew that I wanted like a change. And I, and I told her, I was like, I wanna uh, to contribute to something bigger. I wanted to do something that uh, will be not different every day, but will allow me to ask questions, will allow me to be curious about things. And I told her the story that I had with my mom. And then she's like, oh, perfect. So you can do a project with us. And that's how everything started. And I think the interest grew more and more because in that group, I was exposed to Dr. Uh, Zuleika Fortes and Dr. Maria Elena. So there was a very strong group in hypertension. Uh, in Sao Paulo, and they're so passionate about things. And I learned so many things about the basics of hypertension. And in that time, I went to Canada to work with Shifrin and Rian uh, on hypertension and uh, to do like, you know, that one year um, PhD like sandwich that we have in Brazil. And that was even more interesting because I learned the more the clinical side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, Rian and Shifrin were very like translational and clinical. And they were so challenging that they would challenge us. They would uh, make us think outside the box and push us to be more curious. And I felt more passionate about it. And then that's how, uh, I guess, everything started. Uh, was not only being interested in cure my mom, but also being inspired by the many different people that were part of my uh, um, development as a scientist. And I think like for the ISH, I started getting involved when I was in the trainee advocacy committee for the calcium on hypertension. We used to have like, uh, and still have like a lot of like collaborations between the two uh, entities, let's say. And then with that, I started to get to know more and more Machi, Faji, uh, Dylan, well, Dylan, we worked in the same lab. You like, you know, everybody from the NIC, like the early beginnings of the NIC. The first NIC, uh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And then with that, like, I, I guess I just got invited to participate with them. And then, and then I end up staying and participating in so many different committees because I wanted to really like pay it forward all this help and things, uh, uh, hands that I had throughout my career. And I thought that working these committees would allow me to, uh, to do that. Yeah, no, wonderful. And good to you have contributed to many committees as we're just talking about. Um, and it can take an enormous amount of time as we know, like we have meetings in very odd times sometimes um, because uh, trying to collaborate with colleagues elsewhere in the world in these meetings. Um, so it can be very time consuming. 
Uh, how has your participation in these professional societies helped you to advance your career? Yeah, so it is very time consuming, but it's very rewarding as well. Because to me, as I said, I was able to pay forward to many different people and hopefully more, I don't know, uh, things that I wanted to, to pay for, all the help that I had. Um, but it pays off in a different aspect, an aspect as well. So if you think about your career development, like being in these committees, it helps you to learn um, how a society works and how different people, like dealing with different, different people work. So let's say if you're a PhD student or a postdoc, uh, you're doing your research, you're, you're being trained to be a scientist. And I think that you have, you know, all those skills to be a good scientist. But when you become like more senior, you need to get more administrative uh, roles and you need to get like in a setting or in a mindset that involves like politics and other skills that you don't learn when you're at the bench. And I think like working in these committees helped me to understand that, helped me to be like more political, <laughs> helped me to kind of like understand a little bit more like uh, how things may work and, and transport that, those uh, learning uh, skills to uh, where the university or the lab or the situation that I was in my uh, scientific career, let's say. But I think like um, the other thing too is I, when I started working with Rian and my postdoc, I think if everybody knows that knows me, knows that I stayed working with Rian. And that because our relationship is very like a differs, let's say, and it's also like we have like this synergistic interaction of uh, exchanging ideas and uh, working uh, in projects that I didn't want to lose. And I was very, uh, and made me go, made me happy and more passionate about science. So being this committees helped me to get noticed and helped me to show to people that even though I am, I, I, I am in this setting, like in this partnership with Rian, I am a partner with Ria. So allow to show them that, to, to know me as who I am and to know my individuality and know my contributions uh, to things that we have done together. So it helped me to get noticed. And the other thing that I think everybody knows, and I'm going to repeat that, is networking. Allow me to meet so many different people, brilliant people yeah. that now are part of my uh, scientific family that I can count as a mentor, as we're going to be talking later on, or even like as a collaborator and so on. So it does help a lot. It takes a lot of time. You need to be very careful with that and plan properly and be organized, but also give you back a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. And talking about mentoring, Gutu, can you define your mentorship experience in one uh, word? I did. I did answer the question. And, oh, you already uh, did. No, 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 no. Remember, like, we always ask this question to everyone. I was like, yeah. oh, now it's my time to answer the question. Yes, yes. And a lot of people would say the word that I would say. And then after that, I would be like, oh, I need to change my word now. And then oh. today, I, was like, <laughs> I need to say like a different word. And then I was like, and then I was thinking, and the word that I chose is safety. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah. And the reason because of that, because mentorship it has to be a safe space mm. it has to be like the safety net that you can fall in and it can be your raw true self where you should be able to uh build the 
great scientist that you're going to be. But then I was like, oh, so maybe safe, my yeah, safety, a, my, uh, my work. Nice word. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it goes both ways, right? Because that mentor also needs to feel safe to be able to share the experience. So it exactly. goes both ways, yeah. Beautiful. And uh, do you think mentoring is important? I think it's absolutely important. It's, uh, it's without it, I don't think you can move much further than what you do when you are a postdoc or when you reach like scientific maturity. Let's say. There's so many things that you don't learn uh, only doing experiments uh, that you need to, like so many different skills and uh, point of views that you need to grow into that uh, without mentorship, we won't have it. Like, you know, we work in a career that we need to move a lot. We need to adapt to different conditions. And if you don't have the safety net, like those uh, different mentors, you won't be able to do properly. You have like a harder time and it shouldn't be a hard time, it should be something enjoyable. And I think mentorship helps for you to um, continue to enjoy the this career and enjoy what you do. Oh, so true, yeah. And uh, when in your career did you realize you needed a mentor? So I I have like, I think I have like two moments or a few moments, but two that I can give like an example of like something more organic and something more like planned uh, after I became like a little bit more aware of mentorship. The organic side was I reached a point in my PhD that uh, I wasn't excited anymore. Uh, my project got stuck. I was only doing like a lot of like histology. Uh, even though I loved looking at these slides, it became like very repetitive, uh, which was my problem since the beginning when I was doing other jobs that I didn't like. And my supervisor at the moment, she was on maternity leave and she was so busy with other things that uh, me as a young researcher, like a young PhD student, I didn't want to bother her, right? And which I should, I shouldn't have because she was going to be, she was super supportive and I finally decided I, I needed to bother her. Um, so at that time, I was like, oh, I don't know, I think I'm going to quit. I think like this is not for me. I think like the honeymoon is over. And then I talked to her and I was like, well, for the first time I understood that uh, your supervisor can become your mentor, but also that won't happen if you're not honest and if you're not open to them. And then I spoke to her and we had like a very nice conversation. And she's like, no, it was when I applied for the, the sandwich program. It's like, there are many different programs that we can do, many different things that we can do. Uh, we can revamp your project. Like, they're like, you should have come to me. Like, doesn't matter if I gave birth or not, but it should have come to me and then discuss the things for me. I would be able to help you and guide you. And, and in that time was when I went to Canada. And when I got the, the scholarship, I was so excited. And then in Canada, I had like another uh, lab member there in Rian's lab, was uh, Glaucia Calera. And she adopted me, like she became my mentor. She taught me like a lot of things in science uh, that uh, I didn't know. And that was when I started being aware of like strategizing about my career plans and choices that I need to make. And that was like out of nothing. It was me leaving the lab getting uh, this fresh air, cold air, because it was Canada, so fresh air, and then I was able to meet someone that adopted me as a uh, mentee. 
And then with that, so like Rian and Shift thinking and everything uh, went bigger and bigger from there. Uh, but the other aspect uh, that I was when I made the conscious decision, like I need to get like a more directed mentorship was when I moved here. Okay. Because as I mentioned to you, like it was a big decision. We had like a lot of parts in personal and professional, uh, mm -hmm. but when I moved here, I need to make sure that I was doing the right decision. I need to make sure that career-wise, I was going to see as my whole self again and wouldn't be something like, oh, he's just following Rian again or, uh, or something that was trivial because it wasn't. And then at that time, I contacted uh, Stephanie once. And, uh, and I was like, because I knew that Stephanie was going to be, was going to shake me and she was going to uh, be honest with me and she was going to be so inspiring and energetic. And that's what I needed. And then I spoke to her. We have like a few uh, conversations and she helped me to understand what I wanted. She helped me to really define, uh, solidate, consolidate what I wanted to do and what I wanted for me and Amazing. how to plan further. Yeah, so those are the two examples that I, I, just situations where something was organic and something was planned. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Guto, um, you also mentor a lot of people and especially in uh, Rian's uh, lab as well. And I was wondering if you can comment on your mentoring style and give us any examples of ways that you have helped uh, your mentees. So, so I think like if you ask them, they're probably going to say that I'm uh, very, very protective. I'm, uh, I'm tough, like protecting a way like I'm one of those uh, chickens, like the hands that put all the little chickens under the wing. And then yeah. once you fight with anyone that gets close, yeah, so that's like a little bit of me, kind of like a big mama. Oh, I think I'm that too. Yeah. <laughs> so I can be like tough, but tough in them, it means that I'm honest. And I'm going to speak my mind. If there's something that I don't agree, I will I'll tell you. And if there's something that I agree, I will tell you again. I will be your cheerleader. I'll be like, you know, the person that's going to be on your side, but also be a person saying like, I think you're wrong. I think like you're being like a drama queen or you are overreacting or you're, I think this is not going to pay off because of this, this, this and that. So like, I'm not afraid to just speak my mind, uh, let's say. And I think that comes off with the gay genes. So like, I'm a little bit sassy. So, <laughs> so I'll, give, I'll give you like a lot of sass like, uh, uh, in, the, in the process. But one thing that I learned with the many different people that went through our lab is that you also need to be adaptable and you need to learn how to listen to people. And it's hard being a mentor because different people, they were not, not going to respond to the same uh, recipe, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, I can be sassy with everyone. Mm -hmm. you know? I can be super straightforward with everyone. Some people I need to sugarcoat more, and some people I can sugarcoat less. So I guess like I learned how to be uh, adaptable. And I think like an example, uh, my first uh, undergrad student, Hiba, uh, Hiba Yusuf, um, she was in our lab and she was going to a conference. And she was so nervous, friend. I was so nervous to give the presentation. It was an oral presentation. Beautiful work. She was such a hardworking student. Um, and I remember, like, my style was I practiced with her, but I practiced in different ways. I did, like, okay, so now we're going to 
do like one sentence per slide. But no, I cannot do that. Yes, you can. One sentence. And she did something wrong. Go back to the beginning. <laughs> it's like one sentence and then one word. What's the keyword? What's the keyword? And then she was like, and then my friend that was with her, she's like, if that was me, I would have thrown the computer at you. <laughs> no, but like I'm bringing, like I'm kind of like uh, taking her into pieces to put her together, but like she's doing the job. She's exercising those muscles. And then she presented and she, she won the award. Like Amazing. so many postdocs, senior postdocs. And because I think that process, like, I helped her to believe that she knew what she was doing and to believe that she had the confidence to do it. And who cares if like she was against postdocs or even professors, if she show up and she shows how exciting she, uh, she is and how good the work that she's doing, she sold it. And then that's what she did. So that's what I do. Like, I like to make sure that um, people are glued together. Uh, to get you where they wanted to be. And I guess yeah. that's my style. No, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, one of my former supervisors, I won't say which one, <laughs> um, told me once when I told them that I didn't want to uh, practice, they told me with these exact words in an email, uh, not the words that I would have chosen, but I always tell this story to my uh, students um, that I was being stupid and naive if I didn't think I need to practice. <laughs> And it's, it's so true. Uh, it's, it's hard work, but it's so worth it uh, practicing every, every single time. Yeah. yeah. And I think like uh, uh, it's part of it, right? Like people need to understand that um, for you to grow, you need to, like think if you go to the gym for you to be fit, you need to exercise and you need to practice the muscle for you to get the most of your growth, for you to have the body that you want. Um, career is the same as, as a muscle. You need to practice. You need to exercise your uh, skills for you to get somewhere. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And what traits do you think a good mentee has? So I think like the first thing that everybody says, and I agree with it, is like you need to lo learn how to listen. So listen is, also you need to learn how to share. So it's a, it's a balance between listening and sharing. You can't be arrogant and that's a, like, I like to emphasize that there's so many people that think that uh, men in for you to succeed, you always need to show how many things you wrote, like how many papers you have, or like how many experiments, how many techniques you know, um, all your everything that you've done, right? And they forget that like once you're dead, you're not going to be like your papers are not going to be with you. They're not going to burn or put the papers in your coffin, right? Uh, most likely people are going to forget you. So it's like, so don't be arrogant and don't list the things you do. Learn how to be a human. Learn how to share your uh, fears and your uh, uh, your comforts, like things that make you happy and unhappy because then you know you as a person and then you know how to uh, guide you through the different turns and turn, uh, turns in your path. The other thing is, I have to say, be honest and no secret. You need to let your mentor or people that are trying to help you know what you want and what you're doing. And don't be afraid of them uh, being mad at you. At the end of the day, is this your choice? Uh, is this your career and your life? But for them to be able to give you the best, you need to share, you need to be honest. Uh, 
And it's kind of like a given thing. And you need to be prepared, I think, to accept that in the different things you go through, you are going to be part of the problem, but you're also going to be the part, part of the solution. So that's the thing I tell uh, our mentees is like, once they have a problem, I always ask like, so in terms of percentage, how much, what's the percentage of your contribution to that problem? And then if you say like zero, it's like, come on, come on. You need to like, let's like, you know, have like an introspective moment and think about it. Because the moment that you know how much you contributed to the situation, you learned about yourself and you learned how to fix things and how to turn the situation into something for you. And then the other thing is say like, know how to communicate, know how to apologize, and know how to describe that. That can come as you go, but you need to learn those things. Yeah, as a, for a team to work well together, people need to uh, yeah, be able to go through those steps. And do you have any advice on how to identify a good training environment? I think like there's nothing better than uh, talking to people. Uh, but you need to remember that, let's say, if you're in an interview setting and you're visiting a lab, remember you're trying to get information from people that are also trying to get information from you. So at the same time, they're getting to know them. They're trying to get to know you. So be aware of that. And try to uh, see how things are feeling of like how the lab or that uh, PI or uh, environment is. But not only the lab that you are, trying to get a notion of like the institute and the university that they are. I think like it's good for you to do your homework. Like it's not only like to read the papers of the person that you are applying to or you're thinking to go to the lab. I think it's important for you to kind of like looking at their papers, you can see what kind of techniques that they do, how they flirt with different things, who they collaborate, how open they are to think of the side outside the box. And you, you can give a sense of like, what can you learn from them? But also, what can you contribute to them? And that's something key for you to be uh, very successful in the new environment. Understanding how you can contribute to that group to move and then you guys have that kind of uh, synergistic, uh, that symbiotic uh, relation. And the other thing I was going to say, and I'd like to finish with, is that be kind. So kindness always brings the best of people and creates a safe space. Once you create a safe space with the PI or the people that you are applying, be able to share, and they're going to be able to ensure that your good feeling tells you whether you should be in that environment or not. Yeah, no, that's very good advice. Yes, kindness is very important, particularly with, uh, like, with science, it's so hard that there are so many hard steps uh, with uh, COVID, with uh, papers being rejected and so on, that it's so important that we're kind with others, but also with ourselves. Yeah. And Guto, I don't know if this question is applicable to you, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know whether you find anyone intimidating, but do you have any advice on how to overcome talking to someone you would find intimidating? I find a lot of Really? <laughs> yeah. The only thing I think that goes on my side and sometimes is horrible is that like, I never shut up. 
<laughs> so like so that's the thing that works with me i don't know my mom used to say like i don't know from who you got in the family but like you're the, i guess the most special person in this house <laughs> I, i never stopped talking and like I think I'm so afraid of those awkward silence that like when I see someone, even if they're intimidating, I, I usually joke. I try talkative, I try sexy, I try funny, I try different personalities and one is going to uh, uh, fit and is going to save me from that uh, awkward situation. But I think like, I guess the basics, just be yourself. Like understand that um, that person may be intimidating because they're super senior, you have like a, a scientific crush on them, like you read their papers and like, oh my God, like oh, they're going to think I'm stupid. No, they're not. They're probably not even going to remember who you are after them the first time. We talk many different times for them to remember. But if you're kind, if you're nice, if you're yourself and you keep like a collegial, polite, if you keep like a conversation going and a pleasant conversation going, I think like you overcome that. Uh, And even if you try your best, um, read their papers, talk about science, like find something that you feel comfortable with to talk to and introduce yourself. And if they are rude to you, I, um, at the moment, like, you know, just breathe, try to feel your feelings, like, because you're going to feel like horrible, you're going to feel like, uh, oh my God, this is the worst situation in my life or not for your life, it's just my moment. Try to hold yourself up, and then when you leave, just go for the who cares attitude. If that person is rude to you, it's good that that person did that to you right away because they show from the beginning they're not going to be those people that are going to help you to move. So you should forget about them. They're actually doing you a favor. And many situations, like I had, like, a, you know, people intimidating, like uh, I work at the NH oxidase, and uh, I go of uh, the NADH oxidases and there are a few researchers there they're very like intimidating they make sure that you feel in your poster and your presentation as you just learn how to deal with it but as I said at the moment fake it <laughs> like you know <laughs> be always happy be always kind and be always and then after that situation is gone talk to your friends go in the corner Beef will be thankful that the person already showed you that they're not. Oh, well, ho hopefully not. I, I hope at least in the, our ISH meetings, most people are very friendly. Yeah. So even if people look intimidating, don't be afraid to go and have a chat. Because yeah. yeah. then that's right. Sometimes they just look intimidating. Yeah. Like I remember like uh, when I first met David Harrison, I was so afraid of him. Oh, me and too. Then, yeah. <laughs> but then like Rian had him as a guest and he came to our lab meeting and I was going to have dinner with him. I'm like, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. To the point that, like you can feel like, you know, the sweat uh, drops like through your back, <laughs> your hair. Yeah. But when you went for dinner and Rian didn't go, it was just me, uh, Francisco, and I think uh, one more student. He was so nice. Mm -hmm. He was so nice. He wasn't even close to the person that I like, you know, to that like serious person, like he's serious of course, but he was such a pleasant person to, to talk to and to to have like an experience exchanging a, a conversation that I was like, I laughed the, the rational like how stupid I am 
to let you know somebody's fame intimidate me and stop me from getting to know more and more interesting people. So that's what you should be thinking about. True. Yes. Yeah. And uh, good to moving on now to diversity and inclusion. And I know that that's a, a topic very close to your heart. I know that uh, you volunteer also in the Women in Hypertension uh, Research Committee as a result. Um, can you tell us what you think the biggest barrier around diversity and inclusion is? I, um, one thing I start thinking more and more around is like, maybe we need to practice more in connecting with people in a human level, not in a scientist level, in a human one. We need to exercise the, our capacity to understand other people's shoes. And we sat on, uh, recording this uh, podcast and we heard many different people talk about many different things. Uh, but we need to now understand that we are in a new time and we're dealing with a new generation. And for you to be, um, for you to accept people, you need to learn how to understand uh, those people. And one of the things that I think we need to stop is comparisons between times and generations. I understand that for you to become a professor and work like super hard and you need to, you know, have like all many, achieve like many different milestones, but you need to understand that the process for you to have achieved there uh, 30 years ago is completely different to what it is now, right? And, and because people compare a lot, I think people of seeing or thinking or connecting with others in a personal or like in a human level. I was just looking at Twitter today and there was a tweet there about this um, person that was talking about uh, salaries for and how uh, the mother of the person was struggling with paying rent. So that person came from like a working family and that person was struggling to be able to uh, provide for um, themselves and to help his uh, his mother, and I think that was very touching, and that's like a, a subject that uh, is in discussion from Twitter. And I think one time somebody posed like we should increase like any kind of say we increase salaries. People go like, oh, my time, I had to work with that type of salary, and uh, I I dealt with it. Yeah, but. Again, you're not connecting with other people. Like, are you, let's put the guy again, you know, the example that I gave you. Are you in a situation that you need to provide not only for your family, but for your parents as well? Maybe you're not. If you are and you were able to survive, congratulations. So like share then your experience and what you've done instead of criticizing people and help people to have ideas and see the solution of the problem. Yeah. But if you don't, you need to learn from them, you know, what people are going through for you in order to be able to not criticize but really make a difference and help yeah so i think so, like yeah do you think then uh, it's lack of empathy that we are uh facing yeah i think yeah i think that and also from maybe lack of acknowledging how privileged some of us are yeah that was my word it was privilege yeah yeah and it's and it's it is um horrible because 
when you talk about privilege and when you talk about inclusion, a lot of people get offended because it is a hot topic. It is a difficult topic to talk to because people are very afraid uh, to say what they think. Um, but people don't know, like, see how many people, like, if you go back and see how many people we talk to, not only here in the, the podcast, but in any situation, how many people that they were able to become professors, and that's just like an example, they're able to become professors because they came from a family that was able to support them. Uh, a family of uh, professors, like their mother and fathers were professors already in university. So that family, like they grew with that family. So they're not coming from a family that had to, you know, wake up, uh, well, I guess everybody, but like I'm trying to, I'm trying to like, you know, be very careful with my example here, but like, it's not like, it's not from that family that has to go paycheck to paycheck yeah. in order to be able to get your kids education. Uh, and they not even be able to provide that. The kids need to go and get like scholarships and work hard to get like something that they can um, do to change their lives. So this is the thing that I'm saying, like we need to be able to step back and understand uh, differences in gender, differences in uh, races and how society sees those differences and how people can be oppressed or not, and how that can influence somebody's uh, choices or peers, and you need to learn how to be supportive, supportive and not judgmental. And the other thing I was going to say, uh, we need to learn how to stop minimizing other people's problems. So just because you were able to survive in that X salary, that doesn't mean that's the problem for someone that has more things to do, right? Um, Another thing that I heard a lot when um, I was going to, uh, through phases in my life, like difficult phases in my life, um, if there is, or even right now, let's say, if you're going through something hard in your life, there are people that come to you and say like, oh, but think about it. You're not in a country that's uh, there's a war. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They or, people's problems. Yeah, that's not, or you, that's not empathy, that's sympathy. Yeah. Yeah, so... You're not, um, you're not getting, you didn't get COVID or had to, you know, be in the hospital. Like, stop villainizing or stop, like, minimizing people's problems and start understanding they, what they are and their roots and try to bring together uh, initiatives or different agendas so then people can move forward uh, together and be I don't know if that was, like, a muddle answer, but I think... The key is we need to start understanding each other, but want to understand each other instead of judging. Yeah. And look, I, I think you're right that uh, everybody's so afraid of getting uh, diversity and equity wrong that sometimes it's much easier not to do anything or not to say anything so you don't get it wrong. But I don't think that that's acceptable anymore as well. And, uh, and I think as uh, uh, leaders or emerging leaders, we all need to consider that in the end of the day, we're not here to be right. We're here to try to get it right. And that means that we might get a few things wrong in the process because we are human, but we just need to uh, be humble enough to acknowledge that and try again and try to make a difference. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I, I say, and I may be surprised by that, we need to rethink what we our concept of uh, excellence. Mm, yeah, yeah. Because I think excellence uh, in grades or in things is matchy-matchy with privilege. And we need yeah, to be absolutely. careful. We need to be careful for that. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, you know, doing the podcast of Anat Kirabu made me realize that. They made me think like, oh my God, I wanted to pay forward. And I think I did pay forward to a few people, the things that I do contribute to uh, societies. I was like, can do more. You know, there's like a whole group of people that I don't think I was able to reach out, but because I I was, was because of ignorance, was because of, uh, I wasn't exposed to it. So she kind of like put a fire on me that was like, I wanted to do more. And I, and when I came to Montreal, I was telling Francisco, I was like, um, I wanted to, I don't know, find like a social cause, or find, be, um, contribute more to the social aspect of science. And I'm still trying to figure out what that means for me. But I guess um, that's the new venue of my pay forward uh, pathway that I want to take. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. And uh, Guto, do you have any advice for women in hypertension research? I, well, it's, um, I had to say that like, I, I always had uh, throughout my three years, uh, female uh, mentors and uh, role models. I didn't have that many males. I think like you said something that you had only males, right? Yeah, and yeah, now we start getting more females. Yeah. Yeah, when we were talking about the about that, I looked back and I was like, I'm the opposite. I only had females. But <laughs> apart from like from my dad, um, I was like, I didn't have any that many uh, males uh, that I see as like strong mentors or people that I look up to. Uh, but now, yes, I am getting you know uh, some young ones and everything. Um, but what I would say is that women like don't let anybody shut you off like you are like women and men are the same like you know i don't care what people say mm -hmm. uh but they are the same they're capable of doing similar things they're capable of being very successful and just because of like uh we have history of like males being dominating many different things we shouldn't accept that anymore so like don't let people shut you off and if somebody tries to do it, like, you know, let's just get like some sad, let's just get something out so then you can uh, voice your concerns and your uh, opinions in a safe uh, I think like, and if you need to make people uncomfortable because that's how people sometimes listen to you when you make them uncomfortable and like, you know, expose the fact that they're not listening to you. I think like the other thing is, Know that, and that's not only for women, but I think for everyone, know that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. The problems that you're going through, probably some other people went through. We just need to find them and let and create a community or that safety net that's going to help you. Don't be shy to reach out to uh, us and them to see. Don't be shy to reach out to people and accept people to give you help. And help can come like in many different forms, right? You can, uh, and it may be different things. You may need like mentorship, or you need somebody to watch your kids. Why you need to, um, I don't know, give a talk or something. But speak up, like, you know, ask people for help and try to create that kind of community that's going to help. And I think my other thing too is that's what we have here uh, in our home like make your partner or people in your life accountable for the things that you both, we both 
have aspirations and you both have uh, are willing to move forward. So you both should help each other. You are a team. You're not a, a if you work against each other. Nobody ever going to guess anywhere. If you work together, you're going to get double of the things that you work for. That's the perfect scenario. Um, yeah, so I guess that's what I, I have to say. I, I, I hope it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And uh, our last question, uh, Guto, is about the uh, COVID pandemic and the impact that that has had in our uh, junior researchers. Um, do you have any ideas of what we can do to better support them uh, through these uh, difficult uh, times? Yeah, so an, an individual suggestion that I'll give to people is like, learn how to identify uh, opportunities. I think like COVID, uh, I'll give like my example, right? So when COVID hit, I'm like, <laughs> when we got the news, I need to close the lab and stop breathing. It's like, I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'm glad that I have lots of data that I need to analyze, but I don't know if that's going to, you know, keep me going like for three months. And, you know, I'm going to write, start writing papers, all those things. But then we had Rianne, right? So Rianne came to us and she's like, mm-mm. You're not, you're not going to get comfortable. Uh, think about it. And then I remember like being in a lab meeting and then Rian was like, think about like how COVID infects uh, cells. It's kind of, it like, well, it's too. And I was like, oh, wait a second, I know where you're going. And then I was like, oh, perfect. So like, is there anything related to, uh, and the whole cardiovascular, you know, COVID. I was like, I started reading more and more and I get more interested in the subject. I was like, you know what? There's this grant application for early careers and kind of things. I want to take the opportunity. Ask that I love to understand to study like different systems. So I want to mm -hmm. take the opportunity to put something together. And then uh, we supported us. Everybody in the lab that wanted to do that. And then that created another um, field for me to move on with my let's say independent research. Uh, right. Learn how to take like. Uh, opportunities and sometimes opportunities come from adversities and like, uh, adverse moments and the other thing that I would say is uh, I think like uh, grant agencies and uh, universities or something they need to put the systems in place that will solve or help people to move forward or like they're going to have an impact there are things that are going to matter and I think the classic example was one application that I saw there in the UK that was like, everybody's eligible, we're going to give preference for everybody who is uh, gay, lesbian, um, um, different types of colors and races and kind of things. I was like, this is not going to solve anything. And I'm going to make like some publicity here for you for saying like, go to the paper that you just published about the roadmap uh, for career development. There are many ideas, many things that can be done there and everywhere, and things that matter, things that are going to fix. Uh, not fix the problem, but it's going to help people overcome this difficulty. Um, and I think the last thing you say is like, um, let's create a good community. And I think COVID showed how in science there is this amazing community where people are helping each other, people are willing uh, to help each other. So, the benefit from your mentors, from your friends, from your collaborators, from people that wanted to extend a hand to you. And don't be too proud or too shy to accept that help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, thank you, Guto. That was uh, wonderful. Uh, 
discussion about role of mentoring and uh, diversity and equity, some very important points. I really appreciate your time and, uh, and also your friendship. Thank you for listening to our interview. If you'd like more tips on mentoring, subscribe to our podcast for more interviews with senior and emerging leaders. Stay safe, open-minded and kind.